Hello and welcome to the journalism.co.uk podcast, a show where we bring you insights from media industry experts to help journalists do their jobs better. I'm your host, Jacob Granger. Today we're going to learn about how to maximise the efficiency of your editorial meetings to generate valuable insights for your news organisation. Insights is a word that gets thrown around a lot. I know I'm just as guilty of this as anyone, but as it turns out, real insights are actually very hard to get, but absolutely crucial to informing the work of journalists and news organisations. I'll be talking to Chris Kocek, a strategy and consumer insights expert and author of the book Any Insights Yet. He's going to share with us the secrets and myths of insights, how to generate these gems in your brainstorming sessions, and how to apply them to your organisation strategy. That's all coming up, so don't go anywhere. Chris, welcome to the journalism.co.uk podcast. Thank you ever so much for coming on to the show. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. Chris, I think one thing our audience would um, really resonate with is uh, when you started out, you know, in the early days of your career, you weighed up a potential move into journalism. You crunched the numbers and decided it maybe wasn't quite the move for you. Tell us more. Yeah. So um, I think in my early 20s, I did some traveling. I wrote for different publications. I did photography for different publications and I enjoyed it. And then I thought, well, maybe I should go get a master's degree in, in journalism. Uh, and so I started looking into that and um, I applied to schools and then I realized how much financial aid I was going to need. And I just did some calculations about how much time it would take me on a, on a journalist's salary to pay off those uh, student loans. And I thought that's just going to take way too long. Um, and instead I turned to the dark side, which was advertising. Um, but at the end of the day, the, the transferable skill that I felt was there that made me feel confident in that leap, um, was that it's both storytelling. Yeah. At, at the core though, a lot of your reason for wanting to move into journalism was a deep curiosity about human behavior, right? Absolutely. So my father was an alcoholic and, um, and so I've always, had a keen interest in understanding why people do what they do, um, what is motivating that behavior. So just trying to understand people, it's, it's always been there for me. Um, and so um, I've always been a keen observer, always writing, journaling, keeping track of human behaviors. Yeah. So how did all of this lead you into working around strategy and consumer insights? The, there was a key inflection point where I was, um, I was living in Boston and I, I wasn't making much. I was teaching English as a second language. Um, and then I got an opportunity to work on a, uh, a campaign for Bushmills Irish Whiskey. Uh, are you familiar with Bushmills at all? Have you ever heard of that brand? Uh, no, to be honest. I'm not much <laughs> of a whiskey uh, connoisseur, I have to admit. N nor am I, nor had I been uh, aware of it. But um, I got this, uh, this opportunity to work on it. And they said, we're going to... Um, educate customers on the distillation process of, of whiskey. And I'd never heard the word educate and advertising in the same breath. So that kind of got me thinking, oh, maybe I should get into advertising. And, and so I ended up going to grad school uh, for advertising. And then one day um, uh, my, my wife's um, family, then she was my, my girlfriend at the time, uh, they were standing outside of a school waiting to pick up their son. And they were standing next to Andrew Robertson, who was the head of BBDO New York. And um, 
they didn't know what he did. So they said, oh, what do you do? And he said, I work in advertising. He didn't mention he's the CEO of BBDO Worldwide. So he's a pretty big shot, right? I don't think there is a bigger shot in the business. He oversees all the other CEOs. Um, and so he said, well, have him send his resume to me. So uh, I looked him up online, found out this, uh, who he was, threw out my old cover letter, uh, wrote a new cover letter to him. Um, and I told him three things. I said, um, you know, I believe in doing well by doing good. I wear my heart on my sleeve and I believe in the power of ideas. And apparently it was that third one that got his interest because advertising is all about ideas. And, um, and ultimately it was Tracy Lovat, uh, who's the head of planning at BBDO at the time, uh, who brought me in and, and, you know, she said, well, I think I'd like to keep you here if you don't mind. Great accent. You've uh, clearly worked on that for some time. Chris, you've, um, you've just published a book all about insights and you said something interesting just a second ago, uh, on your, on your third thing that you'd said in that interview about, uh, ideas. Now, what I know from the very start of your book is that insights and ideas are not the same thing. You know, I, I, I laughed about this because insights is a word that I use all the time on the, on this show, in my work. But maybe the reason I use it so much is that I conflate it and confuse it with other things. And, you know, uh, when we talk about insights, what I'd like to start with is what exactly is an insight or rather what isn't an insight? Yeah, no, that's a great question. And if you hadn't asked what isn't an insight, I probably would have gone there anyway. Look, at the end of the day, an insight um, sounds really powerful. And it is when you actually have a true insight. Um, and so I think a lot of times it sounds more powerful. It sounds sexier to say that I have an insight as opposed to I have a data point, right? Or I have, um, I have an observation. Like you go into a room with people and you say, I have an observation. People will be like, yeah, I've got observations too. Thanks. Yep. Um, if you go and you say, I have an insight. Now all of a sudden people might say, oh, <clears throat> let's pause here and, and see what this person has to say. So there has been like this proliferation of the use of the word insight. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, an insight is, it's not just a data point. It's not just an observation. It's not an obvious human truth. And there's a little bit of a distinction there between obvious human truths and like deeper human truths. Um, it's not just a trend. Um, it's not, sometimes people will, will conflate even a catchphrase with insight. Um, you know, you're not you when you're hungry. That's a great Snickers uh, campaign tagline. It's true. It's absolutely true. Is it an insight? I think we've all been around people, you know, who've, who've uh, not been themselves when they're hungry. You know, they start to get a little Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde style. Um, so, so that is in and of itself not an insight. Um, so I, I like to say that an insight is, is a combination of all of those things. I think there, there's something even in the question, what is an insight? It makes you think that it's this one thing, right? But I actually think an insight is a combination of all of those things we just talked about. So data, observations, truths, trends, all of it mashes together in this sort of hadron collider uh, of your brain. And, and it becomes something new that comes out of it. Yeah. So it's not one thing, it's many things coming together. I feel like from your response there, the, the defining quality about an insight is that it's original in some way rather than 
all the other things you've spoken about there, which could be either replicated from somewhere else or a data point is just something they've stripped out of a, you know, their, their data report or an idea is, you know, dime a dozen kind of thing. An insight is the collection of all of those things to form something new, right? Absolutely. And that's why I like to use the metaphor of the constellation, because um, a constellation is a combination of multiple stars in the sky, right? So you connect the dots between the different stars and you see something. Uh, you know, in the book, I, I talk about how our ancestors could see bears and whales and things in the sky with just a handful of stars. And they would connect the dots in such a way to see the outline of a shape. They say, well, that's, that's a bear. And you or I might look at that and be like, I don't see a bear. So that's very much what an insight is like, too, is you're, you're connecting these dots. And the beauty of it, too, I think, is that you and I can look at the same dots and draw different pictures. You might actually draw a completely different insight or a completely different conclusion with the way that you connect the dots versus the way that I connect the dots. Neither of us is wrong. Yeah. Do you have to go in with like a hypothesis of what it is that you want to find out? I think that can help. But I think the most important thing is being open um, to to the possibilities um, that are out there. So I know that sounds a little woo-woo, um, but, but being open definitely um, means that you're probably going to land in some different and interesting places that nobody else has gotten to yet. The first point to acknowledge is how precious an insight truly is. An insight is the combination and cultivation of ideas, observations, trends, data points, and human truths, things we all accept as true. There's an easy way to remember this as well. You can turn the word insight into an acronym. It inspires action, is not obvious, is simple to explain, includes all the things we just spoke about, gives your brand an advantage, humans must relate to it, and sometimes it taps into a cultural tension. If you can tick all of those boxes, you realise that an insight is more rare than we at first realise, and it's the result of a lot of tinkering. You're lucky if you get one insight <laughs> through the process <laughs> of, of building and putting all this stuff together. So I think the first thing is insights, plural. Like if you're, if you're knocking out multiple insights in a single session, then <clears throat> um, you should, I don't know, uh, be on the head of like R&D for somewhere. Okay. Okay. Right. Um, We're getting somewhere. That makes sense. But looking at things from a different angle or a different perspective is really at the core of what insights are all about. And to do that, one of the one of the techniques um, that I find very useful is uh, interrogating language. So, what does this word mean? What do they mean when they say X, Y, Z? digging into that and seeing how that definition is changing right before our very eyes within the culture, that can be a way um, to generate more ideas. So when you say, hey, can we get some insights for the newsroom? I would say you're probably talking about ideas for stories, but I don't want to presume anything. Right. So um, so working on um, understanding, you know, where's where's the where's the fault line also in the culture? So uh, one thing that we, we trade in a lot in advertising is cultural tensions. So what are the cultural tensions that we can tap into where it looks like society is actually going in opposite directions at the same time? Sometimes when you look more closely at that, when you look at the center of the tension, 
there's an idea there or a big idea for a story. Right. So to really drill into, what would you say? Audience habits, media trends, and to see what's the direction of travel and to start there and unpack that, unravel that. Trends are a huge thing, uh, for sure. Um, and looking at opposing trends. But but that alone won't give you an insight, as you've just said. That's that's what a starting point. And then, then, you, then, you, then you run with that. Yep, you run with it. You see where it goes. Um, you know, there's... Uh, Again, going back to language and words. Um, now, again, it's going to be from a personal example, but working with a, a fast food restaurant here in the United States, we were looking at, um, we were doing focus groups, um, and the topic of healthy food came up. Okay, so this was a healthy fast food restaurant, um, and during the focus groups, people started talking about eating well. Mm-hmm. They didn't specifically say eating healthy; they said eating well. And I thought that was interesting because I kept using the word healthy. And you think, well, they're just synonyms for each other. What's the difference? Healthy versus well. And so you, you, you pick at that a little bit. You dig in on that. Why do you keep using the word well when I keep using the word healthy? And you realize that these subtle nuances that people have in their, in their minds um, give them, you know, kind of a different direction. And that in turn can give you a different direction for where you want to take the story or the conversation. What difference did that make, understanding that piece of information? There was another competitor at the time uh, to this business who I would say that their food was definitely healthy as we dug in on like, what does healthy mean? What does that word actually mean? Uh, people spoke about it to us. They said, Oh, you know, healthy is like brown rice and naked chicken and broccoli and food without flavor, like eating cardboard. That's what it, that's what it means to eat healthy, Right. but eating well, Oh man. I mean, you know, you can have healthy embedded inside of well, but it doesn't go the other direction. So when you eat well, there can actually be some decadence. There's definitely flavor. And so that that ended up changing their headline direction, their messaging direction, their product development direction with this idea of let's eat well in mind right. instead of eating healthy. You can start to see the you know three degrees of separation. Yeah, because I, I suspect here focus groups and audience uh, feedback that's all just one element, right? One ingredient that, that goes towards your, your insight, right? And then once you have that, I suppose, you can drill into those, those terms where there might be synonyms and nuances to better understand what will lead into an insight. Right. Absolutely. I mean, so at, at its core, an insight means a, a deeper vision into something, the ability to see something more deeply than other people. And so what you're constantly trying to do is dig deeper, dig deep under the surface of people's assumptions, preconceptions. Um, you know, there's, there's a lot of people, you know, who say, oh, I've seen this before. I've seen it a thousand times. You know, there's nothing new here. Right. Well, as soon as you say there's nothing new here, then you've closed yourself off to the potential for an insight. Right. And so you have to keep taking this thing uh, that, that is potentially an insight uh, and, and keep twisting it around. I like to say that an insight is a little bit like a prism, right? It refracts light. Um, it, it, it takes light. And when you turn it around and you, and you spin it around at a particular angle, you'll see a rainbow coming out of it. Right. And that, that rainbow is the insight. Right. I'm, I'm kind of imagining a scenario where you've got yourself in a in a meeting with your colleagues right now and there's maybe a problem or a challenge or something you want to solve and that's the thing that you want to garner 
a single like crystallized insight on and you're using kind of these different uh ingredients to contribute towards that and that might be data that might be human experiences like what somebody has previously been working on that might be audience research any number of these things are all going to eventually result in your 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 crystallized insight and so with that being said i feel like it would be more helpful to have a a greater diversity of people in that room you know greater perspectives to help think up things you know twist that prism more than you would previously absolutely um it's a it's a great thing to have multiple perspectives i think abraham lincoln was famous for having the team of rivals because he would say that if i have other people in the room who disagree with me i'm more likely to um come up with you know better ideas or have my ideas gut checked Mm -hmm. you know by other people um so absolutely the more people who are in the room sharing different perspectives um the more uh likely you're going to see things in a new light which is ultimately what an insight is trying to to get at i mean it's funny because an insight is a little bit like a riddle (laughs) right it's it's something that's visible right? Or, or it's something that you can see, but it's not quite visible, right? So you kind of like feel your way around it until it crystallizes into something. And the articulation point is a critical point uh, for insights. Yeah. Um, because you have to, you have to be able to articulate it so that other people understand what it is. Great. So, I mean, a lot of this feels a little bit abstract for now. So can you give our audience maybe a couple of practical tips and techniques in terms of generating insights? Yeah, so um, there are several techniques I like to rely on a lot of times. There's, this is not an exhaustive list by any means, but um, you know, one of my favorite ones is keep asking why. Uh, I mean, kids do it all the time, right? I was, I was, I had the very same thought right now. Like my six-year-old does that; he just keeps asking why. So yeah, embrace your inner six-year-old. Yeah, absolutely, and and it, it, it's annoying to parents because we've, we're always busy. We got to get somewhere. We got to go. We got to do this. We got to meet deadline. Although we're working with assumed knowledge and we already know the answer. We just don't care to go into the depth because we already know. But within that contains so many, like it, it's, it's funny when you've, when you've got kids and they ask why, and you start to think, well, I don't really know why it's just kind of is, but mm-hmm. that's where it kind of pays to interrogate those details. I suspect. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Why, why do we need, um, for example, I don't know about in the, in the UK, but why do we need now that there are um, cameras on the sides and sensors on the sides of the cars? Why do we need side view mirrors? Because you have a camera that can give you the the blind spot perspective that you need, and those side view mirrors are just creating drag in terms of fuel efficiency. Not not to mention the risk of banging it into the drive into the garage when you pull it in. I think I think that speaks to a more profound point, which is that when you interrogate the way in which you do things your workflow and your everyday you know how you're working that will likely ultimately your insight you hope would be oh we're doing something that's inefficient right now there's 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 a part of this workflow that's slowing us down there's something that doesn't need to be if you keep asking the why you eventually result in well yeah why do we have that we don't really need it right i mean one of my favorite examples um comes actually out of um uh, a business in vermont it's called mamava uh, and it means moms on the go. And uh, this woman, Sasha Meyer, uh, who's the founder of Mamava, she looked at the state of the world and she said, 
why do women pump milk in bathroom stalls? I mean, of all places. And so there's, there's a lot of complex issues there, right? There's society, there's, there's what's considered proper or not proper, things like that. Um, you know, desires for privacy, all that kind of stuff. But, but she asked that question and she dug deeper into it and she, and she realized, well, a couple of things and, and, and the real humor here, by the way, I know it sounds weird to say humor, but the real humor is that like a bathroom stall is the last place that you would prepare food. I was, I was thinking all this time, there's a hygiene element to all of this, right? <laughs> right. And so, so, um, so she looked at that situation. She had had kids fairly recently herself. She'd gone through what she calls the indignity of doing that herself. Mm-hmm. And she said, why do women do this? And, 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 and as she dug deeper onto that question, she realized it was because women were made to be invisible, to hide this thing about themselves, which is that they're nursing moms. They're trying to make milk for their babies, you know? And so whether you're nursing, you know, physically skin to skin contact, or you've got to pump to, to, you know, save that milk supply. Um, and so, so she, she ended up coming up with these lactation pods called Mamava, which you'll find in almost every airport here in the United States. You'll find it at sporting venues. You'll find it in malls. Uh, and I just love that example in terms of she asked why. Why is it this way? And she looked at all of the, the stuff around nursing. And she noticed that things were, you know, they, they were usually dark colors. They were in dark bags. All of these things meant to make this stuff invisible, this aspect of living. And and that there is the true insight, isn't it? So so women were invisible. That there is the insight, and then from the insight comes the solution. Yes, absolutely. And she had a huge influence. I, I interviewed her for the book, and and she kept talking about our job at Mamava is to make the invisible visible. The point of an insight is really about discovery. It helps you identify room for improvement in how you're working or an unmet demand within the market. Setting out to solve a problem or test a hypothesis can help, but isn't necessary. Sometimes the best insights come from just poking around, adding new dimensions and seeing what shakes loose. The purpose of an insight is to guide strategy and develop solutions. That could be how headlines are written, what products to include in your subscription bundle, an internal workflow within your team. The possibilities are many. Here are some quickfire tips from Chris when conducting brainstorming meetings with your colleagues. Make time for meaningful discussions. In the frenzy of a newsroom, we all feel the pressure of returning to our desks, but deep insights need time in the oven. Interrogate jargon, as this will burst assumptions which often impede new ways of working. Avoid binary yes or no questions. These are insight killers. Ask open-ended questions instead, and use follow-up questions to drill into the detail. It can be really handy to have a dedicated note-taker in the meetings to pick up all the different nuances in what people say. Just make sure you know your colleagues' limits. So you have to keep asking the follow-up question, but you have to do it delicately so that the person, yes, you're challenging them uh, in a way, but it's, it's challenge with the intention of getting to a better place, not challenge to knock them down. I was I was thinking as you said that that you you run the risk of if you keep pushing someone and pushing someone and pushing someone that can eventually grate on the individual and be sort of unhelpful. Yeah. So how do you strike that perfect balance? It's it's uh, on a case by case basis. You have to know the person's personality, and you have to have a culture of trust. 
So if everybody's trying to one-up each other or outdo each other, then they're going to see your questions as a threat or a challenge. If they know that you're their ally and you're just trying to actually help them get to a better place, they're going to take your questions and say, I see where you're going with this. Let's dig deeper together as opposed to why are you cutting my ideas down? No, I'm not cutting your ideas down. I'm trying to prop them up with these additional questions. I'm trying to give you new angles and new directions that maybe you haven't thought of yet that can actually be a richer, bigger story. That's very interesting because the news industry is incredibly competitive, you know, uh, reporters and, you know, there is a, what's often called like a healthy rivalry to, to, to get stories and one up each other and, you know, who's got the best story this week, whatever. So if that is the case, and that might not be the best environment for this whole like following up and interrogating. What can you do to maybe change the dynamic and to make sure that you're doing this in a way that is not going to be too uh, grating and aggressive? Trust is, is like a prerequisite for curiosity and safe curiosity, which now starting to sound like really meditative or, or, or something like that. But like if a person doesn't trust you, they're going to see most of your questions as threats. And, and you experience this probably in your podcast and when you're interviewing somebody yeah. for a story, right? How does a journalist build trust within two minutes of meeting someone that they're going to interview? Well, we have a bit of rapport beforehand, you know, like you and I did today. We, we spent a good 10 minutes. You, you asked me a question about, you know, what do I love about my job? Uh, I answer that and I put the same question to you. We spent some time talking about our backgrounds, what we do, and that helped to manage our own expectations for the conversation and um, build a little bit of dynamism between us. Yeah. So I think that underneath those questions, I'd like to think, was a genuine curiosity. Chris, quick fire one, just to end the episode with, you know, we're talking on a Friday, Monday morning, you know, a journalist is come into the office with, uh, they're bringing a hunch of how to do things differently within their team. And they want to garner some new insights on on how to do things differently in their team. What would you suggest? Um, I guess I might go in and say, what do I really know about these people who I work with? Yeah. Right? Start there in terms of that genuine curiosity. And, and perhaps also take, and I'm sure journalists do this all the time, but take a story that's that's getting a lot of attention. and like we talked about before with the metaphor of turning it around and saying, what's this angle? What's this angle? What's this angle? There are, it's like a diamond, right? A story is like a diamond. There are dozens of cuts and angles on any given story. And so look at it in that light in these different ways um, and see if that yields, you know, an interesting or different angle on the story um, that you can go deeper with. Yeah. I really think the prism metaphor is the thing I've taken the most from today, Chris. Um, but uh, thank you for all of your insights today, or insight, shall I say, on that one. Um, it's been a blast, and uh, thank you for coming on the show. It was a pleasure meeting you. I really appreciate you having me. What makes this conversation feel important to me is that top newsrooms right now are fostering cross-department collaboration internally to succeed. When people from different disciplines and perspectives come together, it gives rise to new ways of thinking, working and testing. 
the true gem of today's episode is that the process of creating an insight requires a culture of trust. That challenging ideas is meant to prop up ideas, not cut them down. But what did you take from today? Find me on Twitter or X at jpgjournalism or email me on jacob at journalism.co.uk. You can check out all of our episodes on all your usual podcast platforms, SoundCloud, Spotify and Apple Podcasts by searching and subscribing to the journalism.co.uk podcast. But that's all we have time for this week. I've been your host, Jacob Granger. Thanks so much for listening. Until next time.